No lawyer has ever achieved the movie star-like fame and glamour of the powerful litigator and notorious Lothario, Greg Boutzer. He had the most incredible client list and, and had far-reaching power uh, that no lawyer today uh, has. There's never going to be anyone like him again. <laughs> I'm ABA Journal reporter Rachel Zahorsky, and I'll speak with James Gladstone, the Executive Vice President of Business and Legal Affairs for Lionsgate Entertainment, and author of the new book, The Man Who Seduced Hollywood, The Life and Loves of Greg Boutzer, Tinseltown's Most Powerful Lawyer, after this. This podcast is produced by the ABA Journal. We bring you the latest legal news every day from around the web. Visit us online at abajournal.com. Greg Bowser was one of the most famous lawyers that Los Angeles ever produced. He had a 50-year career from 1937 until 1987 and represented many of the most famous movie stars of his time. Among his clients were Ingrid Bergman, Marlena Dietrich, Kirk Douglas, Clark Gable, Judy Garland, Katherine Hepburn, Rock Hudson, Gene Kelly, Robert Mitchum, Lawrence Olivier, Jack Warner, Natalie Wood, and Daryl Zanuck. He also was very famous for representing the wealthiest man in the world, Howard Hughes. He represented Hughes from 1950 until Hughes' death in about 1976. Bouncer also was most famous for being a very, very prolific playboy. The Gossip Gossip columnist called him Hollywood Bachelor number one. And among his more famous uh, romances were Lana Turner, Joan Crawford, Ginger Rogers, Dorothy L'Amour, Ava Gardner, Rita Hayworth, Merle Oberon, Jane Wyman, Peggy Lee, Paul Lake-Garter, Greer Garson, and that's the short list. You dedicate quite a few chapters, different chapters in your book, to his clients, to his loves. But one that intrigued me is the introduction to Howard Hughes. Uh, there's more than one story as to how that went down. Would you like to read that passage now for our readers? I'd be happy to do that. It's from the chapter, The Richest Client in the World. The client who would change Bowser's life forever was Howard Hughes. For much of the 20th century, he was considered to be the wealthiest man in the world. During their 25-year relationship, Bowser would serve as Hughes' advisor, protector, confidant, harem keeper, and best friend. Having Hughes as a client paid off in more ways than earning high fees from the billionaire. It made other important businessmen want Bowser to be their lawyer. If he was good enough for Hughes, he was good enough for them. Although Hughes would later become reclusive, at the time Bowser started as his counsel, he was nothing like that. In fact, they had a lot in common. They were both athletic, handsome, competitive businessmen, out to conquer the world and bed beautiful movie stars. Hughes came into Bowser's orbit around the time of Hughes' purchase of RKO Radio Pictures in 1948. Bowser knew that they had dated a number of the same women, among them Ginger Rogers and Ava Gardner. There are two versions of how Bowser and Hughes met. The first involves their mutual friend Pat DeSico, who worked for Hughes in a capacity that has never been fully explained, but almost certainly involved procuring young ladies. In this version, it is DeSico who introduced Bowser to Hughes in a bungalow at the Beverly Hills Hotel, where the tycoon lived. According to publicist Henry Rogers, when Bowser and DeSico arrived, they found Hughes in the bedroom, stark naked, a telephone in one hand, struggling to put on his trousers. A woman smoking a cigarette lay in his bed. Hughes finished his telephone conversation, zipped up his fly, and walked over to his two visitors. Howard, said DeSico, I want you to meet my friend Greg Bowser, the best attorney in town. Let's go down to the bar for a drink, Hughes grunted. 
the woman remained in the, in the bed. But the story Bowser told his son, Mark, was that he first met Hughes in a nightclub. Bowser was at a table with Lana Turner. By this time, they were no longer dating. A man came up to the table and leaned over to ask a question. Mr. Hughes would like to know if Ms. Turner will give him her phone number, he said politely. You tell that miserable son of a bitch that if he wants to talk to Lana, he's going to have to face me, said Bowser. And if he's a man, he'll do it. The emissary retreated. In a few moments, Hughes walked over and introduced himself. And that relationship is fascinating in the book. You say at some point that later on in his life, Bowser is one of the few people who could even get Hughes on the phone. That's right. Bowser was pretty much considered to be the last person that Hughes would still take meetings with. And uh, Bowser was still going to see him as late as 1969 or 1970, when very few other people were, were meeting with, with Hughes. And yet by the time that, that Bowser had assembled this fabulous list of clients, his life was glamorous as it was scandalous. Um, most of the people who had worked under him saw him as this big, flashy rainmaker, and they really didn't grasp the story of where he came from and who he was and how he got into this position to be Hollywood's number one lawyer and, a.k.a., playboy. Can you give us a little bit more about his background and what he was like and how he rose to this position? Certainly. Uh, that, what you say is absolutely right. Uh, some of the lawyers who worked with him late in his career in the 1970s and 80s had no idea how he had become such a, a big rainmaker and power broker in Los Angeles and, in fact, in the United States. And uh, they didn't know that he had been a trial lawyer in the first 25 years of his career and had many, many trials. He tried over 30 personal injury cases to verdict and represented Ingrid Bergman in what was probably the biggest divorce case of uh, the century when she divorced her husband, neurosurgeon Peter Lindstrom, to uh, marry director Ros Roberto Rossellini. A lot of the lawyers uh, who got their start with Bowser are, are today's largest practicing lawyers in Los Angeles. These include Patty Glazer, Skip Miller, Larry Stein, Andrew White, and many others. Howard Weitzman also practiced with him. And in addition to his brilliance, you also touch upon his demons. Can you tell us a little bit about the torments uh, beneath the myth? Well, Bowser was what would be called today a functioning alcoholic. He drank quite heavily, and when he drank, he got into fights. These were many bar, there were many bar fights that he got into, and uh, he, uh, he really had a personality change under the influence. Interestingly enough, he never seemed to let this get in the way of practicing law. Uh, by all reports, he was always able to sober up and shine in court or in a business meeting uh, shortly after he uh, had one of these incidents, and people forgave him for his flaws. Not only did he go back and uh, give hundreds of dollars to the maitre d's and the bartenders who uh, had had to deal with him, but he also did a lot of favors for everybody around town, and people knew this. He was much more than a lawyer to his clients and the community. He was a guy who fixed a lot of problems and got people jobs and raised a lot of money for uh, such endeavors as the Music Center in Los Angeles and uh, American Heart Association and many other causes. What was the most interesting relationship that you discovered between Bowser and one of his clients? Well, certainly the relationship between him and Howard Hughes is the most interesting. He went on for 25 years and entailed a lot more than legal work. Uh, among the services that he performed for Hughes were writing checks for a harem of kept women that Hughes had all around town and doing all sorts of other things for Hughes, like trying to quash tell-all biographies that uh, were going to be published. Some of, them he, some of them Bowser was successful at quashing, some of them he wasn't. But I think you know, one story that really is most amusing is the time that 
Hughes asked Bowser to go get him a date with Elizabeth Taylor. He, in fact, uh, he, he wanted to do more than get a date with Elizabeth Taylor. Bowser, uh, <laughs> he asked Bowser to go and, go and see uh, Elizabeth Taylor's mother and uh, ask for her hand in marriage. And Hughes had never met Elizabeth Taylor, and Bowser told him that this was not a good idea, but Hughes said this was the way he wanted to do it, and he wanted to offer a million dollars to wed her. So Bowser had to go and talk to Elizabeth Taylor's mother, and uh, when he told her the offer, she, she smiled and asked whether or not the, uh, the offer was tax-free. And they both laughed, and he went back to Hughes and told her that wasn't going to work. <laughs> now, with stories like this, this is the first biography of Bowser, from what I understand? That's correct. Uh, I'm, I'm aware that several other people have tried to write biographies of Bowser since he died. Most notably, Henry Rogers tried to write one in uh, about 1989, directly after Bowser's death. But no one's been successful yet, and I'm the first one. What prompted you to go ahead and say, I'm, I'm going to uncover all of his dirty secrets and put them in one book? <laughs> well, I wouldn't call all the secrets dirty, but <laughs> I, I started the book, oh, over 10 years ago. But I first became interested in Bowser right after law school. I graduated from law school in 1993. By that time, Bowser had been gone about six years. But the lawyers you meet in Los Angeles who've been practicing for a while all tell stories about Bowser. And as I heard more and more stories, I kept thinking, gee, I've got to look into this. And the more I researched, the more it seemed like a book. And more than a man who represented movie stars, dated starlets, he changed the face of power, or actually the, the, possess, the possession of power, making lawyers and financiers perhaps even more important and studio heads on what films got made, who starred in what. How did that shift happen? Can you touch upon Bowser's role in that for us? Certainly. Well, in the 1960s, the studios were all undergoing financial problems, and they had problems raising capital to make movies. Bowser happened to be in, a, in the right place at the right time in terms of being a power broker because he was able to install a lot of the studio heads who were his clients and friends. He got uh, Buddy Adler his job pretty much as head of Fox in the early 19, late 50s and early 1960s. And later on, he got Robert Evans his job at Paramount and James Aubrey his job at MGM. So he had real strong relationships with the men who ran the studios. And at that time, when they were facing financial problems, Bowser found a lot of ways to finance movies through uh, foreign incentives and foreign investments and so when directors would come to him with a project, he would actually go and do the financing in Europe and bring them to the studios fully financed. So in that regard, they would get made, uh, and they were chosen more by him and his clients than they were by the studio heads. No one can compare to Greg Bowser. He had the most incredible client list and, and had far-reaching power uh, that no lawyer today uh, has. He not only had strong clients, he also was on close personal terms with the men who owned the studios. So a lot of the times he was going over the head of people who ran the studios to guys like Charlie Bluedorn, who owned Gulf and Western, which in turn owned Paramount, or CBS founder William Paley. He was dealing with them on their level more than the people who were underneath them. Jim, what do you think is the one characteristic, what's the one secret that defined Greg Boutzer? Is it his... his smooth Lothario reputation with the ladies. He went toe-to-toe -to -toe with Bugsy Siegel, that chutzpah. What, what is it that you would say would define him that made this man as powerful as he was? He had incredible courage 
and intelligence, and he wasn't afraid to use them. When he walked into a room, he, everyone knew he was, he was there, whether they had turned around and looked at him or not. He just had an incredible presence, and uh, he took on some of the most powerful people in, in the world, and without fear. That's all the time we have for today's discussion. Jim, thank you so much for joining us. Your book, The Man Who Seduced Hollywood, is newly released this month, and our listeners can find more podcasts from our Modern Law Library on abajournal.com. This podcast was brought to you by the ABA Journal. For more podcasts on the legal issues of the day, visit us online at abajournal.com or subscribe for free to the ABA Journal podcast on iTunes.